All right, this is the end of our year-long project, walking through the important words of the Bible. Hope is a fitting end, I think, I hope it is, uh, to our year-long survey of important words of the Bible, as we've been walking through the words of the Bible. Not all of them, of course, but uh, a, a smattering, a selection of very important words. We're going to begin with what is perhaps the most misused passage on hope in the entire Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Uh, we take this verse out of context. I say we, maybe you don't. Other people do, maybe. Uh, a lot. We take it out of context. As we understand hope, and particularly the idea of hope, we need to understand both in this passage and in the Bible more generally, the context of God's promises as we consider hope. Because thing that's going to destroy our hope, even if we believe in God, even if we believe in the Bible, even if we believe in God's promises more generally, the thing that will ruin our hope is a misunderstanding of what God is promising. That's what's going to lead to us having either uh, disillusionment or shattered expectations or false hope. So we look at the context of this verse. Jer Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10 for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call to, uh, upon me and come and pray to me and I will be near you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. In the context of these verses, what is the hope? The hope that he's talking about. Now, there is a general idea of hope that I want us to understand. But hope is a waiting game. In the context of Jeremiah 29... He gave them how long? You have to wait 70 years. 70 years of exile in Babylon. That's how long you have to wait. Wait that long. And then what? And I will bring you back. It's going to be okay. Your hope is the future that I have planned for you. The hope that you're going to be waiting for is I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to build you back up. You're going to come back to me. Everything's going to be restored to the way that it was. Not exactly the way that it was, but a lot of it's going to be restored. But you have to 70 years. That is in their context in Jeremiah 29. That was the hope. All hope involves waiting. Now, not all waiting is hopeful, right? We understand that, the difference there. The Israelites have to wait in exile, but ultimately the hope came from God wanted them to look forward to something good, in their case, their restoration. So as we're thinking about hope, we have to ask a couple of things. Number one, what are we waiting for? That's, the, I think, one of the primary ideas we're thinking about hope in the Bible. What is it that we're waiting for? Number two, when do we expect it? Now, in Jeremiah 29, he just gave them when to expect it. Expect it in 70 years. That's how long you have to wait. For us, might be a little uh, different, the answer there. And then finally, how confident are we that it will happen? Hope is a waiting for a positive thing. That's what hoping is. How confident are we that the positive thing is going to happen? Now, through ignorance or misunderstanding, of course, we said our hope can be shattered by the suffering of life if we have one of these questions that we're misunderstanding, right? If we're hoping for the wrong thing, well, our hope can be easily destroyed. If we are unsure about when we should be expecting it, well, then we might have a false hope that leads to disillusionment. If we're not that confident about it, well, then 
the suffering of life might easily destroy that hope. As we think about what we're waiting for, Job 13, 15, there's an interesting parallel contact, a contrast, a development in the book of Job. Job 13, he says, though, I, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. But then later on in Job 19, he says, he has stripped from me my glory, has taken the crown from my head, he breaks me down on every side and I am gone, and my hope he has pulled up like a tree. Job had some hope, but his hope was waning. As you go through the course of the book, Job's hope begins to fade. As he thinks about the suffering that he's going through, he thinks about the difficulty of his life, the things that were really just terrible situations that he was facing. And he began to despair more and more as you go through the book. Why was that? Well, we see a similar thing in Luke 24. Luke 24, Jesus meets them on the road to Emmaus. This is after his resurrection. And he meets them and they're very discouraged. The apostles are very discouraged and they begin talking to Jesus. And what do they say? They say, our chief priests and rulers delivered him. That's Jesus. They don't know they're talking to Jesus yet. To be condemned to death and crucified him. And this is what they say. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They had hoped. Their hope had been shattered. Their hope was gone. Why? Because he had died. He'd been crucified. They'd, he'd been delivered up, right? He'd been condemned to death. But, of course, we understand Jesus had told them that would happen, right? He, it's not like he hadn't told them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be delivered up. I'm going to die in three days. I'm going to raise. He had told them that on numerous occasions. Why was their hope gone? We think about Job. We think about the apostles. What caused them to lose hope was a misunderstanding. In Job's case, it was the misunderstanding that righteousness leads to prosperity and wickedness leads to suffering. That misunderstanding is what had destroyed Job's hope. I can't have hope because I know I'm righteous. I know that I haven't done anything wrong, and yet here I am still suffering. Why? You have destroyed my hope. In the case of the apostles, their misunderstanding was what? Misunderstanding of the nature of Jesus' promise. The promise to restore the kingdom. His promise about his death and resurrection. Maybe they didn't misunderstand it. Maybe they just didn't believe it. He said he was going to die and be raised and yet when it happened, they lost their hope. Either because they didn't understand that or because they didn't believe it. As we think about our hope, we have to be hoping in the actual thing that God has promised. Romans 8, verse 18 and 19, and then we're going to skip to 23 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. In what hope? Not the hope of this life. In this, hope we see, uh, in this hope we were saved, and a hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do see, we wait for it with patience. He says it more clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most be pitied. That's some harsh language. If you're reserving your hope of God for this life, then you should be pitied. Why? Because that's not the hope. That's not the hope that Jesus wants us to have. The hope is not in this life, because in this life, what? In this life, we have 
sufferings of this present time. In this life, what? The creation waits with eager longing. We ourselves groan inwardly as we await the, the uh, adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope. Job, the apostles, their hope began to fade. In some cases, I think, was extinguished because they misunderstood the promise. The promise to God of God to Job, the promise of God to the apostles, they misunderstood it. We have to be very understanding of what the hope is. The hope is for the future. Not in this life. There are promises about this life. But my primary hope is not in this life. This life is going to beat me up and put me down and destroy me. And, and the devil's going to do the best that he can to make sure that I am not holding on to the hope that I have for the future. And if I don't have that hope firmly in my mind, what is the suffering of this life going to do? It's going to do what it did to the apostles. We had hoped, but now we don't anymore. First Thessalonians 4.13 We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that though we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that's us now, it might not be us, but it's us at this point, uh, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that the hope? Don't grieve as others who have no hope. You have hope. What is it? We will always be with the Lord. And then he says what? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Remind one another of this hope. Here I am, hopefully reminding you of this thing that we're supposed to have hope in. Our hope, if it wants to be unshakable, if we want to have enduring hope, we must be centered on the specific promise of God for us that he will come back and he will bring us to himself. And it is interesting, the language, that it compares to Jeremiah 29. They're in exile in Babylon. And what is his promise in Jeremiah 29? I will gather you back from all the places that I've sent you to exile. And so in that sense, in a symbolic sense, we do empathize with Jeremiah 29 because here we are in exile. Here I am away from God. 70 years is a pretty interesting number because it's about the average lifespan. Not that we want to say that's particularly specifically what it means, but I'm going to be here 70 years. I have to wait and hope and keep my my, my, my thoughts on the future thing that awaits me. First Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that we wait for, right? Hope is a waiting game. There's a lot of things that we wait for, but one thing above all that should be our hope, waiting for his return. He says it in Romans that we eagerly await the adoption of, as sons. More generally, we will wait, await the promise, the final fulfillment of the promise of God. So we come to the second question. Again, we think about the 70 years. How long do we have to wait? Well, at the, at the outer range, about 70 years, we could say it more accurately, what? Until you die. That's how long you have to wait, until you die. Now, 
Maybe we're going to be the ones that 1 Thessalonians is talking about. I'm going to be the one that's left when he returns. That might be the case. Might not be the case. 2 Peter 3, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is he at? Right? Isn't that the question? But what? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Hasn't come yet, but it will. Like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with the world, their heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It is coming. How long do I have to wait? Well... I have to wait as long as the Lord is patient. Isn't that what it is? As long as his patience endures, that's how long I have to wait. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's been 2,000 years. Hasn't happened yet. That's what Peter's saying, right? Scoffers are going to come. Where is he? It's, it hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to happen. And his, his reminder is, it's, you can't think about things the way that, that we do. You have to think about things the way God does. But f- that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really practically matter for you and me. How long do I have to wait? I may have to wait my entire lifetime. However long that is, that's how long I have to wait. But concerning the day of the Lord, what does he say? Matthew 24, verse 36. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. How long do we have to wait? Here's the answer. I don't know. And neither does anybody else. Not even Jesus knows. Isn't that weird? It's, it's kind of interesting to think about. He's the one that's going to be coming back. He doesn't even know when it is. Maybe he does now. Maybe he didn't know it then. Maybe he does now. Or maybe it'll just be like one day God will be like, okay, Jesus, today's the day. You're going now. And Jesus is ready to go. I don't know. But if Jesus didn't know... I certainly don't. Nobody else certainly does. How long do I have to wait? How long is my hope supposed to last? We could say it this way. As long as you need to. Until he comes back or until you die, one or the other. And this is perhaps the hardest thing to accept about the Christian hope. Is that it is a hope that is indeterminate, undefined. It is, it is somewhere out there. Almost broken the song over the rainbow. But I have to accept that I won't know until it happens, right? It's hard to accept that my hope has no clearly defined limits, that my hope has no clearly articulated length. Unlike Jeremiah 29 11, where they were told very clearly, wait 70 years and then you're good. I, I don't get that. I have to just endure. I just have to keep going. So what? What's the point as we think about hope? Well, Peter has more to say. Well, because you don't know when it's happening, because it's going to come like a thief, because God is being patient, but that patience will end, what? First, uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 14, Therefore, since you are waiting, waiting for what? Waiting for his return. A couple of things to do. Number one, be diligent. Be diligent what? To be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be obedient. Be diligent to be faithful. Be diligent in your faith as you wait for him. 
count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just according, uh, as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all the letters when he speaks in them, uh, speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant twist to their own destruction, as they do the other, uh, other scriptures. What is he saying? Count the patience of our Lord. Try to have the correct understanding. As you're thinking about your hope and you're thinking about the waiting game, readjust how you think about waiting. That your waiting is not that you're waiting for some indeterminate thing, but you're waiting so that God gives you more time. He gives you more time to repent yourself, and he gives you more time to lead others into repentance. That this waiting of ours, the hope that we're waiting for, has a purpose. And that purpose is to get up and do something while you're waiting. You're not just sitting there waiting, sitting back and doing nothing, but you're doing something as you're waiting. Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You have to wait. You might have to wait a long time. So what do you need to do? Take care. Take care that as you're waiting, you don't get dragged away and do, well, he says here specifically the error of lawless people, but it could be carried away into apathy, carried away into ignorance, carried away into instability, he says at the end. You might have to wait a while. Take care while you're waiting. And then the final thing, what? Grow. As you're waiting, grow. Take the opportunity as we're waiting for the hope to be revealed, the hope that will come when Jesus returns, or the hope that I'll experience when I die, whatever one comes first. As I'm waiting, I need to keep growing. I can't just sit back and rest on my laurels and be like, I believe I'm good to go but I need to continually grow in what? The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let it be so. As we're waiting, we're to grow. One of the things that we're doing right now, right? We're growing. As we're learning about scripture, as we're having Bible studies and Bible classes, we're growing, hopefully. One of the things that we're doing in worship is we're growing. Why do we take communion every week? Because we want to keep growing. We want to be diligent. We want to take care. These reminders that we have on a continual basis. As we think about what we're supposed to be doing here while we wait. We'll end with 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 13, as we consider the last question. We've asked, what are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for Jesus' return. When should we expect it? I don't know. That's a bad answer, but it's true. The final question, how confident are you? 1 Peter 3.13 Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What's he say as we're waiting? As you're hoping, be ready to tell others about your hope. Why do you have hope? What is it about either God's word or about God's uh, existence or about the things that he's done in your life, whatever it is, you can put any number of things in there. But if somebody asked you tomorrow, why do you have hope in God? What would you tell them? If someone asked you, why are you focused so much on eternity? What would you tell them? Are you ready? Are you prepared 
to give a defense, to give a reason for your hope. And if the answer is you don't know, let's talk about it, right? Let's, let's make that right. Let's, let's correct that ignorance or misunderstanding. Remember, misunderstanding, ignorance, that's the thing that's going to lead to our hope being shattered. If you don't have a reason for the hope that's in you, then your hope is vulnerable, and you need to make that right. We need to make that right. And maybe that involves more teaching. I, I say this every so often. I'm going to say it again. The fa my favorite part of the job is not doing this. I do like doing this. But my favorite part of the job is, is studying the Bible with people one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe you have questions about the hope that we have. I, I'd be happy to study with that with you. Maybe I'm intimidating. Maybe you don't want to study with me. Maybe I talk too fast. I know I do. It's, it's a problem. A problem that I'm trying to fix. It doesn't have to be me. There's a, a dozen two dozen, three dozen other people in this room that would study with you, right? Raise your hand if you'd be willing to study with somebody. So many people. So many people. Let's not let our ignorance, our misunderstandings, make our hope vulnerable. As we conclude, the question, how confident are you in the hope of God? If you're not confident, what are you waiting for? When is Jesus coming back? He said it already, right? When is Jesus coming back? I don't know. Which means what? Could be in two minutes. Could be in an hour. Could be another thousand years. But you need to be ready today.